everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. It is Jen Hatmaker here, your hostess, and I am tickled about today's episode, really, and you are going to be too. We're kicking off the next series called For the Love of Summer, and we've got all kinds of interesting summer experts talking to us about a variety of things. So today, uh, my guest is Tish Oxenrider, and so a lot of you probably already know her. She's a wife. She's a mom. She's a writer. Um, She's the author of three books. She's written Organized Simplicity, Notes from a Blue Bike, and specifically the one we're going to talk about a lot today is called At Home in the World. And so Tish is such an interesting person. 10 years ago, she was living in Turkey with her husband and her three-year-old, and that's when she founded the website, The Art of Simple, which may be how you know her. Um, And she was using it first kind of to document her cross-cultural adventures, but then it morphed into this amazing community of readers who exchange all kinds of tips on simplicity and making margins focusing on what matters most. It's like a really, really cool space that she has created and developed. It's been mentioned everywhere. HGTV, Food Network, CNN, NPR, everywhere, literally. Um, And so last year, after about a decade of shepherding the art of simple, Tish exchanged pen for podcast mics. So she's the host of two weekly programs that are amazing, The Simple Show and Women's Work, which is newer, and you're going to love it. Well, I will link to all these in the transcript because I want you to see both of them. Um, And so... After kind of moving all around, Tish is actually my neighbor. She lives um, in Georgetown, which is just north of Austin. I've known her for some time. And when it dawned on me, like Tish is the right person to talk about travel, I was like, like light bulbs going off over my head. So um, she is so, so fascinating. What we're going to talk about today at length is um, a handful of years ago in, in 2014, Tish and Kyle had, their kids were four, six and a half and nine. And after a couple of years of planning and strategizing, they sold their house, they put all their stuff in storage, and they went on almost a year-long trip around the world with their kids. You guys, like four, six, and nine. Um, and so she wrote all about it. That's what that's what her book at Home in the World is about, um, telling the story sort of in, per, in first person in real time as they traveled literally all around the world. It's We're going to talk so much about it. It's so fascinating. Um, also today, though, she is bringing us a ton of tips on traveling with kids, on packing, on budgeting, um, on setting the right sort of expectations, on stewarding our kids' energy levels. I mean, this one's packed of really, really practical information. And plus, it's fascinating to hear her story. So you are going to love her. So you guys help me welcome to the show, Tish. Okay. I'm so glad to be on this podcast with you today, Tish. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's so fun. I love it. An excuse to chat with you. I just told our audience a little bit about you and your life, your work. Um, I talked about at home in the world, which as you know, I loved it. I loved it. I recommended it. I blurbed it. Um, so I wonder if you would, um, take all of us back just to the moment where you and your husband decided to take your family on a year long trek across the globe. Cause this is no small deal. I mean, this isn't like just something you decide on a Tuesday. Right. Um, so like, will you just tell us 
What was going on? Where were you living? What were you doing? Whose idea was this? Who brought it up? Did (laughs) one of you think it was crazy? Was this like a really hard sell? It just, it's so outside the experience of, of normal. It's so fun to like peek in and hear how this went down for you. Yeah. You know, what's funny is you have to, like, I can tell you exactly where I was and exactly the day where we had this idea, but in order to kind of understand who we are as people and as a family, you have to almost back up a couple of years before that. Um, because Kyle and I, my husband met rather unconventionally, we met, um, we were both single working overseas in Kosovo, like war-torn Kosovo in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so we both kind of have in our DNA independently this sort of sense of adventure and this um, kind of love of sort of unpredictable, just laid back living. And so we come to that for our family just on our own. So there's not a lot of convincing of one or the other, like we should do something besides just the normal. Um, So to just to give that like 10 basic background, Kyle and I were both, we were living in Austin at the time, but temporarily yeah. I'm from Austin. Like I right. born and raised from the seventies. And so we were back from Turkey. We had lived in Turkey for about three years before that. We were back in Austin to have my third born and he was a newborn in my arms. And we found out that we needed to move back to the States for like kind of boring reasons that I won't explain, but um, they were a little sudden and it really threw us for a loop. Like we just were not expecting, we just thought we were going to be in the States for a few months and then move back. So our home, everything was still waiting for us in Turkey. Like we still had, uh, we had friends later that packed up for us and they said it felt like um, Pompeii because there was like pictures still on the fridge, you know, of our kids painting. So weird. Yeah. It wasn't like we thought we were moving. So we had this. It was like you were raptured. Yeah. And all of a sudden you were just gone. And there's your empty, your half drunk milk glass. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And so we were just really shocked. And I went through a grieving period because I had always wanted to raise my kids cross-culturally and globally. And I just felt really down about the whole thing. And of course, I've got the postpartum, everything's happening. And I also had a two and a half year old and a five year old. And so I was just in that stage of life where you never sleep and everything is emotional and just, you know, you don't know which end is up. Totally. And And your big kids had only known Turkey, Mm -hmm. right? Like that was their only set of memories, really. That's right. Because we moved there when my daughter barely turned two and then my son was born there. And so that's the only life they knew. Uh, They, in fact, for a long time, my daughter thought she was Turkish and, um, and we would come back to the States and just, you know, she would ask, are there other Turkish people here like us? (laughs) You know, (laughs) very cute. So yeah, this is all they knew. And I was really mourning this loss. And this is when Kyle said, when I was holding my youngest in my arms and he said, you know, just because we live stateside now does not mean that's the end of giving our kids a global worldview and an experience, you know, that, it really expands our worldview. And so he helped me kind of off the ledge of seeing, okay, this isn't a death sentence moving back to America. Right. We're just, we're doomed to the suburbs for the rest of our lives. Right. right. Exactly. Right. And at the same time, this is when my online thing started growing enough to yeah. where this was our family's primary work. And it was a total surprise to me. That's a whole other topic, but this was not this was not in the plan, yet we happily accepted this. And Kyle then got a job with our organization to do work uh, from home in the States, but technically from he could do it from anywhere. So he was he was okay. basically given the position of director of operations of this organization. And um, 
other than like meeting with his boss, maybe like every couple of months, he really could do his work from anywhere around the world. So we thought, okay, um, sometime in the next few years, if we are still doing this work and so we still have a lot of freedom, let's take this show on the road, man. Let's, let's see if we can do this. And that buoyed my spirits enough to, to feel like, okay, I can live here. I can be back in the States. I can do the quote normal thing because we have a plan that's just a little bit, uh, a little bit us still. So yeah, yeah. totally. I know what you mean. Like when I have something to look forward to, I can get through anything. Mm-hmm. This is why I always tell Brandon, I need to be planning a trip. I don't, it can be 18 months in advance. <laughs> That's fine. That's yeah. enough like gas in the tank for me, um, to get through my stuff. So, so from that moment where, where Kyle was like, we can still do something amazing an amazing family adventure. How long was it until, you pulled the trigger on this and you loaded up your family. Well, my youngest was barely four when we got on our first plane for this big long trip. And the reason we waited that long, there were a couple of reasons, you know, some of it is money. We needed to save up money, which I can talk to, I can talk about later. Yeah. Um, the details, but, um, we also wanted to strike this little window where, cause that if my youngest was four, my oldest was nine where they were still, young enough to not be too rooted. You know what I mean? I mean, you have older kids, so you know, like it would be a lot harder now. My daughter's 13 to, you know, extract her from her relationships. And it's just a whole different thing. It can still be done. It would just be different. Um, But nine, you're still kind of like, I just go where my parents go, whatever, you know? Absolutely. And and yet we also wanted them to be out of diapers. Like we have friends. Oh my God. We have friends that travel with babies, but that's just not what I wanted to do. That's too hard. It's a lot of work. That's just too hard universe. Uh No. It's a lot of work. And I wanted everybody to be able to carry their own backpack, even even some of the time, because our criteria was everybody gets one bag and that's it for a whole year. Like one backpack. Oh my gosh. So they were four and the middle, your middle kiddo was how old? He was like six and a half six and, and a half then and nine. nine. Okay. And they all had birthdays as we traveled. Yeah. So where did you start? Where did you, where was your first, first stop? Mm-hmm. We went westbound. So we first landed in China, which is insane because China is not classically easy in yeah. the sense of maybe like England is, you know, totally. it's, it's pretty, you know, it's obviously Eastern. And so just from a Westerner's point of view, it feels pretty countercultural. So it felt jumping in the deep end. But the reason we went that way is because we wanted to chase the sun as best we could. Hmm. Um, this was in September. And so this was still fall. If we went, we just started looking, if we went the other way, we'd be hitting a lot of cold spots during the winter. Yeah. And we wanted to travel light as light as yep. we could. And so we just kind of did the math. And of course, there were going to be places that weren't going to be ideal weather-wise, but we just saw that on the whole, if we went westbound, we would be chasing the sun as best we could. So that's the reason we went that way. Okay. This is just, it's, it's too dreamy. So now <laughs> how, how, how much of this was completely planned out for, it was basically a calendar year, right? More or less. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We followed a, a school year, but yeah. Yeah. A school year. Was it entirely completely planned or was any of it a little bit, let's just see where the wind blows. Well, you know, it's kind of like whenever anyone asks, like, how do you know when you're ready to have a baby or get married? It's like at some point you just go and you learn as you, you know, do it. There's no way you're 100% ready. It's the same thing here. So we, we 
tried to like, how much should we plan? And we realized, oh my gosh, we're never going to get all our ducks in a row at some point. We uh-huh. just need to, to do it. And so we planned roughly a third at a time. So okay. when, when we left, we had a third of our plane tickets. Um, so it was roughly three months or so, three or four months. And we just decided for a number of reasons. One, because we wanted the freedom to be able to change our minds down the road. And we also wanted an escape hatch button. Like we didn't want totally. to like, you just, you don't know. Yeah. We, and there were definitely times, especially in the beginning where we were like, what the heck are we doing? You know, get me off of the train. Seriously? Like when, give me an example. When was a uh, moment when we were like, this was the <laughs> dumbest thing that Cal ever thought of in his life. Well, so this was, I remember in Thailand, we had been in, in this trip about two months and <laughs> we laugh about this now, but I remember turning over one morning in bed and waking up and saying, oh, it's you again. And <laughs> which I know is like that's marriage. Hilarious. I know that's marriage, but we oh have been spending 24 seven together. I mean, literally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, normally we're tempered with our friends exactly. and our neighbors and our coworkers. Yep. And you have like this one family. That's all you got. That's all you have. And my kids yep. were at an eight too young to be left alone anywhere. Oh, yeah. You know, now we could go on dates, but then then we couldn't. And so it was just 24 seven, the five of us all the time, which, you know, flip side of the same coin was one of my favorite things about the trip looking back now, but in the day to day, it just got hard and I'm an introvert and I just need my alone time. And it just was hard to find. And so there were times when I was just like, okay, we're in month two and we're doing this how long a year? Oh my gosh. I don't know if I can do this. So there were definitely moments like that early on. I just, I, that I relate to that so much. I'm introverted like you are too. And there's just, there's the, there's a specific itch that nothing can scratch except for being by myself. Mm-hmm. That is it. That's it's right. not that I don't like my husband or children. I right. just like, there you are again. So that <laughs> is cracking me up. Yeah. Um, so obviously you, you plucked your two oldest out of school. Mm-hmm. Your four-year-old wasn't yet in school. Right. Um, so how did you, you know, quote world school, your yeah. kids while you're on the road? Cause that's a whole nother deal. Like it's one <laughs> yeah. thing to travel for a year. It's another thing to essentially homeschool and travel for a year. This this feels like where my brain fries a circuit a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, are there learning strategies? What did you pick up that you still use? How did you, how did you chart that out? Well, you know, this is another reason why we went when we did, because it felt a little more doable to do like fourth grade and first grade and definitely not like, you know, eighth grade like AP chemistry. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Um, so, you know, to give another little bit of the backstory, when we lived in Turkey, I had come to the, I had come to terms with the fact that we would probably homeschool if we lived in Turkey. And that's a whole other topic too, because I was not okay with that idea for a while. And then I became okay with that idea. And then I learned to live with it. And so um, back whenever we had just, we were living in Oregon at the time, we decided before we left to homeschool for a year. So we Mm, actually, this was Um, my kids are still super little. So they were kindergarten and third grade before we left. Mm -hmm. We homeschooled that year to mentally prepare us for world schooling the following year. And so I will say that ended up being such a smart decision because the transition was not nearly as hard as pulling them out of a more traditional setting. And so we were already used to the idea of like having more blurred lines between subjects and, Uh and them learning how to do things on their own. And so when we went, you know, this was, you know, roughly fourth grade and first grade. So it was still pretty easy. Um, My only real concern was reading, writing, and math. 
Okay. And everything else would be just quote extra. And it yeah. wasn't that I didn't care about those extras, but I figured we would just figure it out as we went and we had let the world kind of teach us. And it turned out to be a great move because geography is covered. Yeah. Culture right. is covered. Exactly. History covered. Yes. It's so easy. And so, and for us to like stick to some curriculum that would otherwise make us miss like the window, you know, what's outside the window. So like yeah. we're about to go on, you know, the, the Great Wall of China or, yeah. Um, snorkeling the Great Barrier Reef, we're not going to say, well, but kids right now, according to our textbooks, we're doing physics. Right. So we're doing physics, not marine life, <laughs> even though we're right. snorkeling today. We just decided, let's just go with it. And so yeah. those sort of subjects, they just kind of taught themselves by being in the world. And then we used everything else to help with reading, writing, math. So we yeah. were, uh, the kids kept, at least the oldest, kept a daily journal of everything she did that day. And so that covered writing. And that mm. also gave her this really great souvenir she can look back on, even though she hated it right. at the time, that kind of thing. Sure. So it wasn't nearly as, if I went trying to replicate traditional school, it would be totally frustrating. But um, we kind of just took the low key approach and it worked out great, honestly. When you got home, did you keep homeschooling? No, we went, so we moved back to, we ended up moving to Austin, which was a total shock yeah. to all of us. And we put them in a school, um, kind of our neighborhood school for a year. And that was definitely a shock to the system. It was harder, honestly, to return than to be on the road for us, especially because we're kind of unconventional anyway. So that was a rough year for them. They're now in a great school that kind of is a hybrid of, of everything that we love. And so we're good now, but at that time it was a rough reentry. What was the most surprising thing that you learned about traveling the world with your kids and family instead of solo, which you did for years? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I already kind of talked about the, the constant togetherness. I think it oh, yeah. was one of the things that the kids taught me that I did not expect is that we did so many great milestone things that I can, you know, you can kind of use a scaffolding for different mile markers of the trip, like, you know, snorkeling mm. the Great Barrier Reef, going on a safari in Kenya, seeing really great monuments. Um, yet their favorite parts, like if you were to ask them today what their favorite parts were, were the really slow, boring parts where we just stayed put mm. for a while. So we divided up, we added three, three spots of the trip where we stayed put for somewhere for at least a month. And we did that for our yeah. sanity to catch up on school and work, but also just to catch our breath. And those yeah. were our kids' favorite parts. And they were not filled with much of anything, really. There was one, like one, for five weeks, we house sat for friends um, who were out of town in the Sydney, Australia area. And it was really, it was literally in the suburbs where they had a backyard with a trampoline and, you know, we fed yeah. chickens and we just did our thing. And my, one of my kids just absolutely loved that moment. Now, Kyle and I adopted this mentality, uh, this phrase of um, when everything's awesome, nothing's awesome. Oh, that's good. And so mm -hmm. we, we kept that in mind whenever we felt this compulsion of like, you know, we need to make everything this event when yes. really if we did too much of that, it kind of watered it all down. And yeah. so to me, it was a great life lesson about, you know, what does that mean about real life back home and, and, yeah. you know, how we travel that maybe it's okay to not see everything. And the point is more the togetherness than this, mm. the checking off things on a list, you know? I like that. To yeah. me, that has a ton of threads. Yeah. Like I'm listening to you say that and I'm pulling that down into parenting and into marriage and mm -hmm. into career. Like that's, that's really kind of a fascinating approach and interesting that your kids almost prefer the downtime. What were your, so you, you were in Sydney for five weeks. Where else did you sort of camp out for mm -hmm. longer than normal? 
We were in Chiang Mai, Thailand for mm-hmm. quite a while, almost uh, about six weeks. And then we were in southern France um, in this oh tiny little village um, called Cadenet in Provence for um, about five weeks. So, yeah, it's it was rough. <laughs> it's just too yeah. much. This is too fantastic. Um, (laughs) So, you know, experience is obviously the best teacher. If let's say you were going to go back and do it again with your kids at the ages that they were, not the, Mm. not the ages that they are right now. um, What what would you do? Would you do anything differently? I think we would go to fewer places and stay in each one longer because one thing we realized is that the traveling was the most tiring part. Not the like once you're out there. Um, but the airports and the airplanes. Yes, and, all yes, the logistics. Yeah. Whenever we had a travel day of, you know, trying to make all that happen, we were both just exhausted and stressed. But once you're somewhere, it's great. And so I think, I mean, but not only for that reason, but also kind of the reason I was just describing, I think we would, and we did take an approach of a little bit of slow travel while we were out. We didn't feel the pressure to like see everything because who knows if we'll ever be here again. We never take that mm-hmm. approach. But there still was a little bit of this element of like, oh my gosh, we're in East Africa, what all can we do? And I think instead, I would just pick a few hubs and just kind of live life there and maybe do some day trips, maybe even go somewhere for a week, but then come back instead of just always hopping from one guest house to another, because that definitely got tiring. Yeah, no question about it, especially with your kids at that age. I mean, even being sort of experienced travelers like your kids are, after a while, that's just taxing. We're going to get into some of those specifics in a minute because you have a lot of tips. But before we do, um, I want to give you a little rapid fire uh, question based on your trip, not 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 the all your life's experience, but this specific trip. Um, And you just just fired off to me. Okay, what was your favorite city? Mm, Oh my gosh, Uh, Munich. I love Munich. Munich. Mm-hmm. I did not expect you to say that. Um, <laughs> what was your favorite food? Uh, the food in, in Thailand, the street food. So like uh, mango sticky rice, pad thai, all that. I mean, you could eat like kings for like 50 cents and it was amazing. That's my favorite food yeah. in the world. That's yeah. my flavor profile. That is my country. That is, I, I will never, ever get tired of Thai food in my life. Yeah. Um, who had the best bathrooms? such a great question um well kind of back to the munich question i would say either like germany or switzerland because they are like so they care so much about cleanliness here's the thing too i realized well i knew this already but it was such a a good reminder um europeans are good about having like the right length of bathroom doors and like the little (laughs) the gap between the wall and the door is huge in the u.s and so it just feels so much more private in in public bathrooms so europeans know what they're doing there Yep. Good job, Europe. Who had the worst bathrooms? Um, you know, a lot of places, but yes. you know, th- most of the world uses squatty potties. So you uh-huh. get used to that, they're, but they're never fun. The one, this is almost like a cheater answer though. We stayed at this really cheap house this um, for just a couple nights in Nairobi, Kenya, because we were about to go on safari. Uh-huh. And one night while we were sleeping, the septic kind of exploded. And so That's we literally, yeah, the whole yard was flooded with sewage. Mm-hmm. So we literally mm-hmm. had to um, create little, what do you call it? Like little rocks between the front door and leaving yeah. so that we didn't step in sewage. Uh. It was delightful. It was great. It was a great smell to wake up to and, you know, to try and just pray your nine-year-old does not drop his bag. In, oh my gosh. And, you know, yeah. I've had yeah, yeah. many, many interesting potty experiences in Africa as well. Many, many, many. Um, What about best place for a date? Not that you got one. 
Well, I will say we did get one. We did get a couple um, just because we we ended up meeting up with people who were willing to, you know, exchange. Oh, yes. So um, I will say, okay, oh, man, um, when we were in southern France, we exchanged. Wow. We had some friends that we met up with there because they were traveling, too. And so we piggybacked back and forth with babysitting. And so Kyle and I went to the next village over this town called La Moran. And it was beautiful. I mean, it almost was a joke how ridiculous it felt. So we went to this like, yes. So Southern France, honestly, because it's ridiculous how on point they are with that kind of stuff, the food and Oh my everything. gosh. I've been to Southern France one time mm-hmm. and it's just, it's almost dumb. Yeah, like, exactly. We just kept looking around like, this doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. Why are we here? Yeah. Is this how these people just live their lives? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's too over the top. It's too charming. Right. It's too precious. That's right. Um, what about, what would you say would be, if you had to just uproot the whole circus, what would be the most livable city? Mm, That's a great question. Um, Well, livable for us, you know, so we're kind of used to things. I mean, honestly, the place that all our kids keep talking about, like, can we live here one day is like Italy. Um, I don't know if it would be, you know, I think about the, the logistics though, Italy, Italians are pretty like whatever about a lot of just the practicals. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons Germany was really nice because Germans are so orderly yet. They still have this great, beautiful, Mm. beautiful architecture. So maybe like the Switzerland, Germany area, this Uh is totally not answering your question because you asked for a city, but somewhere in there, like some small town in that neck of the woods, I think would be ideal. I know what you mean. We spent a week in Italy last year. And so, I mean, first of all, just being in it is, it's Mm -hmm. magic. I mean, it really Mm -hmm. is. It's just dreamy, but it is kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Like we'd go somewhere and they'd be like, well, we're just not open right now. I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, it's the middle of the day on a Wednesday. They're like, but we're just not. Um, and so (laughs) we did have to figure out how to sort of go with their loosey goosey culture. Um, Mm -hmm. what would have been the most livable place in a tent? (laughs) <laughs> like if you, let's just throw out the nice hotels and homes. Well, we did actually camp some. You did? Um, yeah, because we had to. Um, we camped in Australia. Um, now, it was kind of glamping in a way because we didn't mm-hmm. have to actually pitch a tent, but it was definitely tent-like. And we also did that on our safari as well. But I'm going to say um, either Australia or New Zealand because yeah. the geography is so stunningly beautiful. I loved the weather there, the people there. And um yeah, they, they, they just have the best views, I think, in the world. And um, I want to go back hmm. there. So, yeah. I've never been there. And I am just drawn to it like a moth to flame. I, mm-hmm. I just feel so magical and special and mm-hmm. wonderful. What would you say out of all your um, all your, your spots was the friendliest? What was the friendliest city or place in general? There are so many friendly places in the world. And that was one of the great things to see. Like, everybody is so kind. That's um, nice. You know, Thailand is great with kids because they love Mm. kids and um, they're very chill and very mild people in the sense of like, you know, they're not the type to honk at you if you, you know, Mm -hmm. mess up in the car or whatever. Um, So they are really kind. Honestly, Africans in general, like East Africa. Oh, my gosh. The nicest people in the world, the friendliest to, to strangers. I mean, really, probably like, you know, Uganda, Uganda, maybe. Maybe that's my answer. I loved Uganda. I love Uganda too. And Mm -hmm. of course we have the same experience in Ethiopia where they almost over love you. It's (laughs) it's almost too much love. And I've told this story before, but I I don't remember this being the true in Uganda, but in Ethiopia, did y'all stop there? I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were in Ethiopia. 
obviously the culture is really affectionate physically. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all the boys, the grown boys, the men, they hold hands, you know, their arms are always around each other. The girls always have their arms linked. It's lots of kissing, Mm -hmm. um, on the mouth, you know, just man to man (laughs) on the mouth kissing. And I love that. I mean, I cannot get, that's one of my favorite things about Ethiopia. And anytime I travel there, we go there about once a year. And anytime I I travel there, my, my friends and my family members laugh at me because I want, I want somebody, I want them to hold my hand. I do. Mm -hmm. And so I will be walking alongside, um, one of the women and it's like, I'm trying to like get to first base with her. Like I'll let our (laughs) hand brush, like my hand is here for holding if you want to. (laughs) They're like, Jenny, you're being so weird. Just stop it. Um, but (laughs) I just, I can't get enough of it. I love all that. Um, what was on your trip? And it's probably hard to pick too, but mm-hmm. what was the most surprising anything place yeah. or experience or something you saw or anything? Mm-hmm. What was just the most surprising thing? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The whole trip was one big fat surprise. So in a way it's hard to answer. Um, for me personally is we went to Kosovo back to mm-hmm. where yeah. we lived and where we met. Kyle and I can pinpoint, like we can draw an X in the dirt of where we met literally on a road. Mm-hmm. And so we had not been in like 15 years yeah. and it was really cool to see the changes that had been made in, in this part of the world, you know, super war torn where, when we lived there, sure. There was barely electricity and barely any sort of infrastructure to now like there's internet in places. There are legit restaurants. Mm. There are places where you could live and, you know, actually, you know, live well. And that Mm. was really encouraging for us. And it was cool to see, like we, we picked back up where we left off with a lot of our Albanian friends. And that was encouraging to see, um, also that some things never change because they are very personable to you. In fact, that's when you were describing Ethiopia, that's the way Kosovo is too, in terms of affection. And, and so it was kind of this really cool paradox for us of like, so much has changed and yet nothing has changed at all. In fact, we went the village where we met, it's, it's really middle of nowhere, dirt roads. And there's just this little (laughs) store where you can just buy candy goods and random stuff. We walked in and it was the same guy behind the counter doing the same stuff. And he just looked up and was just like, oh, hi, as though we had never left. And, you know, in our minds, we're thinking, don't you want to ask where we've been? And it was almost like it didn't cross his mind. We haven't been there for 15 years. Um, And so that was really cool to see how little had changed, even though everything had changed. Oh, I love that. I, 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 that's, that is, that must've felt so good to see for Mm -hmm. a city that you loved so much and that you were so invested in their own recovery and, and restoration. All right, guys, quick break to tell you about something I'm super excited about. So listen, if you're feeling like you spend too much, eat too much, own too much, waste too much, you might want to check out the seven experiment video series and books I developed and take the seven week challenge against excess that literally changed our family's lives permanently. And hey, if you'll use the code podcast at checkout, you'll get $10 off any package. And if you already have the book, and some of you do, we have a package for you too, and the code still counts. You can find out more about all of this at the7experiment.com. All right, so listen, let's get into some of the nitty gritty of this because um, it is summer and mm-hmm. we've got a lot of listeners who 
are interested, but they're maybe not as brave as you. Um, (laughs) So some of us need to sort of tiptoe into the travel waters, which Mm -hmm. probably means traveling without a passport. So in your opinion, because you're a, you're an adventurer, not just in the whole world, but also in the United States. So what would you say was the best bang for your buck traveling experience in the U.S.? Well, um, I know some people would think it's crazy to road trip with smaller kids, but we have always road tripped almost exclusively in the U.S. Um, We've done, you know, some flights when we need to, but I say that to explain that I've I really do believe that kids become better travelers when they just have travel experience. So a lot of times when people say, oh my gosh, my kid is a total pill in the car and he's six years old, he couldn't manage 12 hours, let alone two. Um, I, I make the argument of they get better the more they have experiences And so um, for us, our experiences of traveling up and down either the East or West Coast have been the Mm -hmm. best. And um, we've figured out a lot of tips and tricks to make it work for us. And so I think that makes it doable. But really, whenever people say like, okay, that sounds great. You know, here we are in Austin. I'm not going to drive to Maine and back. So tell me what else to do. I really do argue like with everybody just getting started, just go somewhere within a two mile, I mean, a two hour driving radius of where you live and back. Try that first, especially if you have little kids and then go a little farther and then a little farther to where you might actually one day legitimately do an East Coast or West Coast road trip with your kids and not want to die because it actually is fun. Yeah. What's some of your tips for the inside the car times? Mm -hmm. Well, it depends on the age, of course, but, um, for us, we always have a cooler in the car, meaning we're not just going to drive through and do the fast food thing. We always go to grocery stores and get our food. So it's, it's kind of like having a picnic on wheels. We always eat that kind of food with, um, you know, just, fruit and finger food. We call it finger foods really, because it's not quite sandwiches, but it's like meat and cheeses and it's everything else you do. And so at any time kids can have snacks. Uh, we kind of throw any sort of out the window of like, no, it's not time to eat. We just eat as we go. We do make stops at rest at rest stops and you start learning kind of what States have good rest stops and, and you time, you know, and so we will always, um, have lunches at the picnic tables at rest stops or at parks, like I'll Yelp, you know, for good parks for kids. And I think that helps a lot because getting enough outside time and getting for kids to run around is key to having to expecting them to be strapped into a car. Like you and I growing up, whenever we were in the car, we could like play on the floorboard and, (laughs) and, you know, we had a very different upbringing in the eighties. Yeah. Whereas our kids are now expected to like be totally content strapped in and not be able to move. That will drive anybody crazy. So that's a good point. So we try to play at playgrounds as much as we can and only do the drive through thing when it's just absolutely necessary. So that's, that's a big, good. yeah, a big and way. A huge money saver, humongous huge, money saver. I mean, as somebody saver. with a huge family, like any, <laughs> I don't care where we stop Burger King, it still costs $7,000. Um, so let's just say real quick, because I want to get into some of the things you just mentioned on saving and, uh-huh. and planning. But let's just say listeners did want to take their kids abroad, maybe for the first mm-hmm. time. Um what what would you suggest as the most um family friendly budget friendly place to consider well it depends on the time of year because because the biggest cost to traveling internationally is the long haul flight yep. 
So that's easily the most expensive part. I mean, there's housing too to consider, but it's not as much. And so it depends on the time of year. If it's in, um, if it's in the summer, which I think is the case for most people, it's going to be um, honestly summer like believe it or not, Southeast Asia, Central America, and maybe Mm. even Europe, if you can um, plan, if you strategize a little. So flights to Mm. Dublin, to London, to Amsterdam. Um, Let's see, there's one other big city, not Paris. Um, I'll think of it. Um, Yeah, Mm. maybe Amsterdam. Yeah, Amsterdam, either way. Um, Those major cities, flights can be pretty cheap. And if if you live near a big, you know, if you live near Dallas or New York or Chicago, you can find some pretty great deals. It's it's usually best to fly um, in and out on Tuesdays because Tuesdays tend to be um, the cheapest. And it's also cheapest to buy tickets on Tuesdays for whatever reason. I don't know why, but, you know, prices fluctuate. So, you know, if you really are thinking I might want to go somewhere overseas, those are the ways to do it. Another place, um, right now is Turkey and Greece. Those, um, if you can find good flight deals, because once you're there, housing is pretty cheap right now. You're you right. know, I'm talking, you know, 2018, you never know a year from now because these countries are all over the place, right. but, um, you can find some really great deals and those are fantastic places to visit with kids because they love kids and kids have totally. so much more freedom than they do in the States in terms of just, you know, being able to roam and be safe. So, um, I'm a big fan of Turkey and Greece. I love that. And I, you're so right. And plus the food is delicious. So your oh. kids are going to be delighted with yeah. all that cuisine. I mean, yeah, that's, that's right. So I have not been to Turkey, um, yeah. but I've got friends who love Turkey because it's so incredibly hospitable. Mm-hmm. People are so kind. The kids right. are so welcome and it's so laid back. That's so right. yeah. nobody is fussing like in America when your kid is like walking around. That's right. Just a restaurant or wherever. It's just a completely different culture. You know, last yeah. year we, when we went to Europe with our friends, we'd been kind of paying attention like you are. Cause some of it's just a matter of keeping a keen eye out. We mm-hmm. are following a couple of deal sites on flights. Cause you're right. That's the most expensive part. And we flew from Austin to Dublin, as you mentioned, and each one of our flights round trip was $350. That's right. I mean, I can't, I can't fly to LA for that. No, so I know. you're right. It exists. It really mm-hmm. does exist. And, and some places are more than others. You mentioned this earlier, and I think this is where a t- most of us, as far as I'm concerned, sort of have to strategize deeply and it's budgeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you talked about, I mean, heck you logged a handful of years, um, saving mm-hmm. for your trip around the world. So what would you say, what's the best way to save for a trip? Do you have tips for this? Um, uh, what did you learn? How would you counsel those of us who really would love to save for some kind of amazing trip with our family? For me, it's a combination of, um, the type of travel you want to do for, so maybe consider not the most luxurious hotel and then, and I'll get into that in a second, but in terms of the actually saving up money, it's honestly a lot to do with the latte factor, which is the idea Mm. of what are those little things in your life that you are spending money on that you don't even realize you're spending on money on because they add up so fast. So even for a week, if you just don't do anything different, but just track it, you'll be really surprised how you might spend a hundred bucks a week on just little things. Um, Yep. And if you just choose and basically have nothing to show for it. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you just choose not to do those things or even do them a little bit cheaper, like instead of a literal latte, do something at home for, you know, six months, not only will you surprise yourself at just how you don't miss it like you thought you would, but that money adds up fast. You can even have a separate savings account with a lot of like online banks that automatically take a certain amount out every week. And, you know, if we're talking 20 bucks a week or, you know, even 50 yeah. bucks a week, 
whatever it is, after a while, you you will be astounded at how you don't even notice it. You don't notice it. And before you know it, six months later, you've got like, oh, this is a decent amount of money that can go to something. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of budgeting, did you have any rules? I feel like, because we have seven people in our family, so travel is really <laughs> expensive. Mm-hmm. And because everything is expensive, it's times seven. Yeah. And it's that many beds that we need and our meals and um what did you find any ways or did you set any rules in advance to stay on budget while you were traveling like did you say this is just something we're not going to do except in extreme cases or this is something we're going to do instead of this or did you sort of was there anything in play in advance because we can blow a budget in four days yeah because all of a sudden there's this well what about this mm-hmm. or well maybe we can do this instead or I just I think there's for us, that's sometimes where we go off the rails is on the ground once we're there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're in like vacation mode and suddenly it's like, who cares? You totally. know? And you're like, I care. Later, I will. <laughs> um, so, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it does actually help to have a budget because then you're you you get the um, the idea of limitations in your life because you can't do everything anyway. And so if you're limited by a budget, it kind of provides more freedom because then you can say, well, we actually literally can't do that. So instead, what are we going to do? And um, for us as you know, our kids were younger, but we still involved them in the planning to some degree. And we would actually talk to them about like, okay, what's one thing you will be sad if when we leave, we didn't at least do this thing. That's a good question. Yeah. And so we talked Mm -hmm. as a family a lot as we traveled about um, kind of what's like a priority. And then we, when we heard everybody else's, that might trigger some ideas where we realize, oh yeah, I actually would care about this more than this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But then once we heard everybody else's and we would just kind of say, okay, well, we can't do all five of our priorities in Italy, for example, because that would just break us. So what can we do that would, you know, be, make the most of us happy. And so we would talk about that. And then, um, we would also kind of help them explain in the man, man, this is a good life lesson. Okay. If we are going to go on a safari here, or if we are going to go visit this one particular place, you, you have to see that that means once we're in this country, we're going to just be doing a lot more hanging out, <laughs> a lot more yeah, like setting the right expectations. Yeah. Up front. And, all, and really holding onto the bucket list loosely because you're not going to see everything anyway to really embrace the idea that a huge part of travel is not seeing all the things, but it's the being there. It's that, you know, when you're in Southern France, you're not necessarily checking out every single magical historical spot. You're enjoying the way of life there. And that in itself is a thing to do. A a thing to do is to slow way down, to enjoy just knowing local people, visiting the village farmers markets, the, you know, just browsing instead of buying. And it's, it's hard to, to wrap your mind around that. But once you start kind of really living that way, it just becomes a little easier. We also just made the rule of like, everybody gets one souvenir per continent, not even per Mm. country, per continent. And so, so, you know, that was a good one to have that rule. Yeah, because otherwise you're just going to fill up your backpack full of all kinds of random stuff. Um, And so we'd be at some street market in Hong Kong and my son would be mesmerized by this plastic or metal frog that made this noise and light up. And I'd just say, okay, is this your souvenir for Asia? And you could tell he's just like, oh, maybe it's not. (laughs) And so that helped a lot too. So we just had a lot of ground rules on the get-go. And Kyle and I did too. We made that rule for us. And that was hard because I would see amazing like jewelry or artwork or whatever. And I had to say like, nope, nope, nope. um, We're going to do this. So yeah. 
That is a really good tip. So mm-hmm. speaking of, let's talk about packing a little bit. Now you obviously had to care deeply about this because of just uh-huh. the scope of your travels. You can't bring three suitcases a, a, a person. Um, yeah. But what would you, how would you counsel another parent who's getting ready to to travel with their kids? They don't necessarily want to fill up their whole entire car with suitcases. (laughs) They want to travel light. They want their kids to be able to carry their own bags, as you so Mm -hmm. aptly noted. Um, Because frankly, this to me is where I am terrible. Like, I hope my friends are listening to this podcast because when we travel together, I am notorious for bringing (laughs) three times the luggage that they all bring. And I just don't know how to pare it down. Like, I'm worried that I'm going to want what I didn't bring. And Mm so how did you approach the whole packing idea? Now, obviously, this is kind of arbitrary because it depends on where you're going and what kind of, what what time of year it is. But just in general, how did you manage to travel so light? Well, you know, the first step is mindset. Honestly, before you even pack the bag, it's like thinking about what will you really care about? You know, you said something that's so true where we have this idea of like, but once I'm out on the road, I will so wish I had this shirt or this pair of shoes and I will be beating myself up that I don't have them. From my, from my experience, 95% of the time that never happens. I think, I think at home, oh my gosh, I'm going to want this thing. And then when I'm out there, I don't even remember it, much less wish I had it. And so to remember that most likely you won't care in the moment, it helps alleviate a little bit of that pressure of bring all the things, not entirely, but for me, it helped. Um, Another way to think in advance is most places you will go, if you absolutely need something, you can find it there. And so especially with the practicals and especially with kids, if you think about like, but what if I, what if he rips these pair of shorts, he needs five pairs of shorts, you can probably find a $5 pair of kid shorts. Mm -hmm somewhere, you know, wherever you're going, if you absolutely need it. But in the moment, you know, you can make do. Another thing is, um, this is one of the many reasons I'm a big fan of guest houses versus hotels with kids. Mm -hmm. If you are going somewhere where you can rent an Airbnb or some kind of house where you have laundry facilities, where you can wash your clothes, like let's say you're just going somewhere for a week, you might consider only packing half a week's worth of clothes in that way, because halfway through, you can just wash everything. And Mm because kids don't care, they are happy to wear the same shirt again and again. I don't care. Honestly, when I'm on in vacation mode, I don't care. And so um, that's one of the many reasons I like guest houses. Um, But even so, just packing, if you think through a week's worth of clothes in not so much my regular life, but in vacation life. So, you know, depending on where you're going, let's say you're going somewhere where there's a lot of, um, you know, it's just mostly hanging out. You're not going to Uh regatta galas, you know, Uh Um, right. You will mostly need shorts and t-shirts in the summer and, and wear layers, you know, you will need one pullover or two cardigans or something like that. So the whole capsule wardrobe mindset, I think goes a long way. So all of these things are about ways you think of packing before you even pack your bag. So if you can embrace the capsule wardrobe idea, the fact that you can get stuff where you're going and that you probably won't miss it as much as you think, then honestly, like over half the work is done. Really? That's good. Yeah. How did you do this? Because, I mean, your trip was different than one week in, in the mountains. <laughs> your trip was a year. Yeah. So yeah. what what rules did you give, like, yourself, give the kids? This mm-hmm. is what we're going to choose. How? Because did you only do backpacks? Um, I did a 60-liter backpack, which is kind of the bag you would wear. It about covered my back. 
you know, and yeah. a little bit more. So yeah, I had a whole year. And you know what? It turned out to be one of my favorite things about the whole trip. Like we came home and like, I don't know, six months into regular life, Kyle and I would say, remember when we only had to keep up with like 10 things? That was fantastic. <laughs> yes. And I had this little, it was almost a little experiment for me. I don't know about like you or anyone else listening, but um, I'm constantly losing little bitty things like pens, like pen a day. Okay. I'm like, where did that pen go? Oh, well, here's Same. another one. You Bobby know? pens. Where do they go? Yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff I just lose all the time. But I kept up with the same 50 cent ballpoint pen the entire year. (laughs) And to me, I was like, how does this happen like psychologically? And I think it's because I only had to keep up with one pen and and I didn't want to be stuck somewhere without a pen. So I made sure to keep up with it. So that was like life lesson number 362 for me. Like, wow, that's interesting. But um, in terms of how I decided what to wear, layers was the name of the game for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to bring a bulky sweater. I'm going to bring maybe five things to wear, starting with a, a tiny little thin camisole all the way to my jacket that I bought at, you know, Columbia or REI or whatever yeah. that's super thin but super warm. Um, so I invested in some pieces that would last a long time and were made for that kind of thing. So I might have spent a little bit more on, you know, I don't know, a pair of shoes that could I could walk and and really get some mileage out of. So I packed, you know, three pairs of shoes. I packed um, three or four tops, one pair of jeans, um, one skirt and one pair of shorts, I think is what I did. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. And then I also decided that if I saw something really cute in some market, I would just go ahead Mm -hmm. and buy it because that was part of the fun. You know, that could be my souvenir. And um, if I had room in my backpack, then I felt like I could do that more than if I packed absolutely everything I needed. It's like I almost wanted to go with not quite enough and then fill it up from really cool places I would never, you know, and then have the fun little souvenir from wherever I was. So. Oh my gosh. I just, I, that to me is such an engineering feat that I marvel (laughs) at it. Like you manage to travel the whole world with five backpacks. I mean, it's just so, (laughs) that's so impressive and so awesome. And I'm sure that um, you come home and kind of go, let's just get rid of everything. So let me ask you this. Obviously, there's, there's kind of one way to travel either solo or just with your spouse. Mm-hmm. So you're just very nimble, you're older, your your body's a little bit more adaptable to handle all the transitions and the jet lag and the new experiences and the language barriers and all that. Um, and it's kind of another thing to travel with kids who are just yeah. not quite as resilient. They're just a little bit sometimes more sensitive to their environment, um, to changes, to time changes, all of it. So how did you were there any ways as you traveled that sometimes you and Kyle got to be like leading the charge? Like, no, I know you're tired, but we're going on. I know Mm -hmm. you're, this place is making you nervous, but in we go. Um, I know you don't like this food, but that's all you get. Um, Mm -hmm. And when did you sort of, did you make any concessions for kids being kids? Like, were there any times where you're like, okay, we're going to kind of let the kids energy level here drive the ship. Um, (laughs) and then there's other times we're going to push them through and they're going to be good for it. That's a weird question. Do you understand what I'm asking? I 100% know what you're asking. And this was on our minds all the time Mm -hmm. when you have little kids and you can't always explain to the four-year-old rationally, like, I know this bus is hot and sweaty, but just hold tight. You know, it's like, it doesn't work. Um, First of all, I'll say that I think the attitude of the kids is directly in proportion to the attitude of the adults. Yeah. So even Good if you're point. faking it, 
you know, even if you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to get out of this car or I'm so hungry or this food is disgusting. I mean, you can still think that you can still be honest. I'm not saying lie, but if you have this attitude of a mature adult of like, this isn't my favorite food, but I am here. I am willing to try it. That goes a long way. I'm not saying the kids still weren't complain, won't complain because they will if they're my kids. Um, but it gives them at least a little bit of a, of a perspective, like I, I'm not alone here and this isn't going to last for all of eternity. Um, when they see the adult they know best in their life acting the same way. In fact, it's helpful for them to hear, I don't like this food, mm-hmm. but I'm going to just power through anyway, or I'm really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing we embraced. Like, let's just be honest with the kids, but also show what it means to be, uh, you know, have a good attitude sure. and a kind of a try anything. But we did make some concessions. We have one kid who is very, um, he's, he's got sensory issues anyway. Like he's just mm-hmm. a sensory seeker and, um, food in particular is hard and a challenge for him. He likes like 10 things basically. Mm-hmm. Um, we made a rule for him that everywhere in the world has pizza. Like that's just a thing. Right. Even in the, the weirdest true. places you would never guess would have pizza. They have pizza. We made a rule that um, once a week we, we would have pizza. Okay. And, and it would be like, you know, even not great pizza. We are willing, you know, sure, Domino's. We'll do it because Domino's is all over the world. We'll just buy bad pizza. Um, and so that kind of helped him like, okay, this food I might not like, but I'll get pizza soon enough. And that helped a lot. Um, we also were not big into like, you have to try all the things in Uh, all places, especially with that guy. I mean, honestly, if it meant him enjoying his time in Asia and yet he knew that he could just get noodles or rice and maybe some chicken and his mom and dad were not going to say, try this thing that's staring back out at back at you, you know, um, that helps a lot. So we didn't have this mentality of we're here, we're trying it no matter what, Mm -hmm. because that just isn't, that wouldn't be good. (laughs) That wouldn't foster a good relationship with, with him and with others. So that was, that was definitely a way we, um, you know, manage. The other thing is just, if you, you're traveling with kids, you have to know going in, it's not going to be the same as traveling without kids. Like, I know that's duh, but if you go in thinking, yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. If you know, it's not necessarily going to be relaxing. It's going to be fun. It might be fun, but it's not going to be restful. You're going to be exhausted. And, um, there's just different ways you're, you're going to go slower than you like. You're gonna, you know, not get to see as much as you'd like, but if you know that going in, that helps so much. Um, especially if you go in with a bucket list of just, you know, that it might not happen, then it's just already a little bit better. I cannot agree with you more. (laughs) I think all of my most disappointing moments traveling with our family is purely because I had unrealistic expectations. It's Mm -hmm. on me. Like nobody's being terrible. They're not being terrible. They're they're just being kids. But I set some sort of impossible bar of how much... Um, every single moment was going to be divine and how thrilled they were going to be to see all the things that I want to see and eat the food that I love. And um, they're not going to do that because they never do. Like that's, that doesn't describe one day of our lives. And so (laughs) I, that the disappointment to me was worse than anything. So I love this advice. Just maybe lower the bar a little bit and then be pleasantly surprised. Like, this is a wonderful day. We've said for, you know, day one about travel, um, expect the worst, but hope for the best. Like you can hope that it goes great, but expect the worst. Honestly, that sounds so, you know, that sounds (laughs) like why bother at all? But really it's because the good outweighs the bad. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's so great. So are you and your family, are you traveling anywhere this summer? 
You know what? We're actually not going anywhere major this summer because we live in a fixer-upper in this um, tiny town. And we, my husband, he's a former contractor, Kyle, and so he can yeah. do it all himself. And we want to do it all ourselves because it saves us money. But we just want to get the dang thing done. Um, yeah. One of the reasons we live where we live is because it's also really airbnb -able. We live in a historic district right off of Town Square um, in Georgetown, right outside of yeah, Austin. Exactly. And so there's lots of people who come here to visit. And so our plan is next summer with a done house, we can Airbnb while we travel. Oh, and that's the idea. Great idea. So well, let me just ask you these quick rapid fire questions to, yeah. to wrap up where, where we ask these questions of everybody in the summer series. So just off the top of your head, um, what's your favorite summer drink? Uh, grapefruit gin and tonic. Oh my gosh. It's so Wait good. a minute. Just explain it. What is this? Well, you know, I guess you could get LaCroix, but we get the generic HEB sparkling yeah, water. Yeah, yeah. Too. Um, the grapefruit flavor is my favorite. So you use uh -huh. that and then you use um, gin and that's it. And a squeeze of lime. And it is my favorite. And I drink one almost daily. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've never heard of this before and I can't believe I haven't. Yeah. Um, I'm going right. to, that is going to be remembered by Jen Hatmaker. All right. What's your favorite <laughs> summer clothing item? Well, it's 8 million degrees here in the summer. Yes, I know. So I wear this, uh, I kind of rotate through these three dresses that basically look like <laughs> giant shirts, but they're like tank top shirts. They just, they yeah. don't touch me as much as possible because yes. they're just like sacks. I, they, they're pretty though. I, I make them sound like they're terrible, but they're kind of like just a long tank dress. Um, yes. Minimal touching of my skin. <laughs> Is it above the knee or below? Are it's they long? Oh my gosh, it's above. No way. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I need we'll very little on me. Yeah. We'll die. Where do you get that dress by the way? Uh, you get it from, I got a mix of them. I, there's one from Madewell yeah. that I love that I wear yeah. on rotation. Madewell is a good place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sure is. Um, that's exactly how I dress in summer. You, <laughs> you know, Tish and I only live like 45 minutes apart. And so basically from mid-May to late October, we're just, we're just melted into the pavement. There's no reprieve. There's no relief. It's just absolutely horrible. It's already horrible right now. And it's barely June. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Absolutely Long horrible. Ahead. I wear That's dresses right. like that all summer. I have like, they're all from Old Navy and Target. They're just knit and I don't care. Yeah. Um, what's your, and this could be anywhere. It could be home. It could be close. It could be inside, outside, abroad, anywhere. What's your favorite summer location? Yeah, like where gosh. you just want to be in the summer? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, gosh, this sounds snobby, and I don't mean it. Um, Tuscany, if you, well, you've been to Tuscany. I Tuscany have. in the summer is insane. Like I've only been in, been well, no, I've been there in the spring, but in the summer it's so pretty. I literally cry. And there's some weird like thing that happens to your brain where you're totally okay with eating gelato three times a day. And it's just unbelievably beautiful. So that's my favorite yes. place. <laughs> that's my favorite place to summer. But I sound like, you know, I've only been there twice in the summer and it's insane. You know, I was in Tuscany last year in late May. So it's almost summer. Okay. And I cried. I cried. Yeah. I, I, mm -hmm. I did the same thing that you just said. I just, my eyes couldn't take it. I just could not take it, right. how gorgeous. And we stayed there for a whole week. We kind of did your anchor up and just be in a house. Yeah. Um, we ate like tomatoes and cheese and basil and balsamic and olive oil literally yep. all day, yeah. every day. That's all we ate. We just quit eating food other than that. And I never got tired of it. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 I second your recommendation. Okay. Last thing. This is a twist on the Barbara Brown Taylor question that we always ask. Yep. What is saving your life this summer? <laughs> well, this sounds super nerdy, but we, because our kids can be super like 
can we have screen time? What are we watching? Can we do a movie? Sure. All the time. Um, We have about two or three nights a week where we are, um, we just call it reading nights. And Mm -hmm. what we're doing is instead of watching something on TV, everybody's just getting their own book, whatever they're reading. And we're just reading in the same room together. And oh, I love it. Yeah. But the nice thing about this for me is that I'm getting my own reading in because I'm always wanting more reading time. And I feel like totally. I don't get enough because I fall asleep in bed or whatever. Um, it answers the question of, can we watch a movie? The answer is no, because we're doing a reading right. night tonight. Okay. We're yep. still spending time together in, you know, I'm not just off yep. in my nook and then feeling guilty because I'm reading uh-huh. and the kids are, you know, we're all reading together. And so we're also kind of showing, Hey, reading's a good thing. It matters. You know, this is a priority for us in our family. That is phenomenal. I'm absolutely <laughs> adopting that. Plus it's in the air conditioning. Exactly. So exactly. That's double points for it. <laughs> okay. Oh, Tish, you are, I feel like I could have, I could have extended this conversation for another four hours. I have a million more questions that we didn't even get to. <laughs> um, thank you for everything you just suggested. Every, you gave me so many good ideas. Um, you make this sort of travel life with a family seem so manageable. Like it does not have to be uber expensive. It does not have to be uber hard. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be overplanned. Um, it doesn't have to be even overhyped. Yeah. It can sort of live in this real space with a real family where you sort of create these phenomenal memories. And I was taking notes while you were talking because you <laughs> gave so many good ideas. Thank you for being on the podcast. Um, tell everybody real quick where they can find you, where they can find your stuff, all of that. The biggest or the easiest place really to find everything is tishoxenwriter.com. That's Tish without an I, um, because that's the link to everything else. So that's honestly the easiest way to say yeah. it. You'll find my Instagram there. You'll find my podcast, whatever. Just go to tishoxenwriter.com. It's easy. Totally. Yeah. So all my listeners, if you'll go over to my podcast page too, we'll have everything linked for you. All of Tish's stuff, her books, her her social media is all of it. So that'll be over at jenhamaker.com too on the podcast page if you do not know where else to go and you can't remember how to spell Tish without an I. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> okay, sister, happy summer to you and your sweet family. Should we ever just decide that we've, we're too melted and we need to meet at the river? Let's do it. We're yes. just, we'll, we'll find a halfway point and jump in. Amen. Amen. I'm there. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Love it. Love it. Love it. When I talk to Tish, it makes me want to just grab a backpack and throw in a pair of shoes and a hoodie and just run to the airport. Like, where can we go? What can we do? She's just, I love her sense of adventure. I love that she does it in ways that almost seem practical. If ever you could think about traveling the world with your kids for a year is practical, but, um, just exciting. It's, it's manageable. We can do it. I remember what her suggestion, if you want to just get started, put your kids in the car and take a drive somewhere within two hours. Like any of us can do that. Um, pack a cooler, make a sandwich. It's, it really is doable to create this sort of amazing experience with our kids, with our husbands, with our families. Anyhow, as always, you guys, um, Tisha's information will all be over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast link where we'll have the transcript and all the links and bonus pictures. Um, we'll get Tish to send us some of the pictures from her travels. So you can look at those too. I hope you're always using that amazing resource that we love providing for you. Um, and as always, my assistant, Amanda, my producer, Laura, we are so excited and glad to bring you this, this podcast. It is our favorite thing. Um, thanks for being here. Thanks for, um, always listening with such enthusiasm and you're such good listeners and you're always sharing this podcast and it's so special to us. I love the For the Love of Summer series. We have more to come. 
Um, come back next week. We've got more tips, more ideas, um, more fabulous strategies for creating a, a fabulous summer. So you guys, thank you for listening and reviewing and rating and sharing. Um, it is just a joy to bring you this week in and week out. Okay, you guys, see you next time. Hey guys, we're back for another segment of Jen's Favorite Things. So this is the part of the show where I share about some wonderful companies that are producing amazing products and giving back to charitable organizations and really worthy nonprofits. Plus, they have exclusive discounts and extras just for you, our podcast listeners. So here are today's favorites. Make getting dressed the easiest thing you do all day with Style Challenges an online personal styling program that gives you all the tools you need to build a stylish wardrobe at a fraction of the cost of a personal stylist. So get $10 off with the code FORTHELOVE10 at stylechallenges.com. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.